Matthew 13, 38, the Bible says the field is the world. Now, you're, you don't need to turn there. John 14, John chapter 4 is where we're going to be. But uh, in Matthew, <clears throat> Jesus said the field is the world. The United Nations, just in the last few days, issued a statement that the world population will reach 8 billion on November 15th. November 15th. So what is today? Today is November 13th. So this coming Tuesday, our, our world will reach 8 billion people in population. Now, we don't know how many, people, how many of those uh, 8 billion people are saved. Um, I've read different estimates, and really they are just simply estimates by people that try to figure out how many people are evangelical Christians. And by evangelical, I'm using that term to mean born again. Um, born again. I know we're, 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 we don't always use that term, but that means you're born again. They're, they're actually saved. There are many people that claim to be Christians, but they're not evangelical in the sense that they don't know the, the, uh, the, the Word of God, and they've never trusted Christ as their Savior. One estimate that I've read that is a little high, one of the higher estimates, some are a little higher than this, but one is 20% of the world's population. Now, if 20% of those 8 billion people are genuinely saved, that means that we have 6.4 billion people who are on their way to an eternity in hell. How can, we, how can we stop that? How can we do something about it? Well, first of all, we're going to have to have a vision for it. Uh, the reality is that most of us do not have, it's not natural for us, I should say, to have a vision for the world. It's not natural for me to care about everybody in the world. Um, it's natural for me to care about the, those I know. People I love, that I love, people love me. It's natural for me to have a burden for, or for, and for you as well, to have a burden, for example, for your city, uh, for this area. This is where you live, and uh, this is where you know people. It's natural for us to have a burden for those that, that we know and love and that we, we encounter, come in contact with. But, but God wants us to have a vision for the entire world. Jesus said, for God, uh, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, the whole world. And our love and our vision needs to be for the world. How can we develop a vision for the world? I want to give you this morning four simple words and then to, in, in, uh, kind of look at those words for a few moments. Number one, the word look. Number two, the word pray. Number three, the word give. Number four, the word go. So all simple words. Those four words represent the four elements that we must have in our life if we want to develop a heart for the world. Number one, look. John chapter 4 and verse 35, the Bible says this, Jesus said to his disciples, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and there's the word look. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they're white already to harvest. The first thing we have to do is to be willing, if we're going to develop a vision for the whole world, a heart for the world, we're going to have to look at it. We're going to have to see it. We're going to have to, to take the time away from our busy schedules and just open our eyes and, and, and look and see that there's a whole world out there on its way to hell that needs Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Lamentations chapter 3 says, Mine eye affecteth my heart. When you begin to see it, that's why your pastor has a missions conference every year. That's why you want to bring in people and they have the videos and they have the, the different things so you can see it, so we can begin to experience and understand that there's a world out there that needs Christ. Our ministry, Barnabas 1040, we concentrate on that part of the world called, oftentimes called the 1040 window or the 1040 region, and we explain that in the video. That rectangular area of Western Africa, Middle East, Asia, uh, 10 and 40 degrees north latitude on, on a world map. Now this area is often called the resistant belt. It includes the majority of the people, the world's Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists. Um, 
most of the, and communists as well as well, uh, Muslims, Buddhists, Hindu, uh, false religions, that's where they are concentrated, that part of the world. The thing that draws us to that part of the world is that they are the least evangelized portion of the world. That's why when we left our church, a Liberty Baptist Church, where of course uh, the Johnsons and I served together, when we left there, we moved to China, and we based in China, where we became acquainted with those countries and with the needs in those areas, so that we could help to, to help to get nationals planting churches. Now most of those countries, in that 1040 region, most of them have less than 2% of their population that would profess any kind of Christianity. And in that 2%, when they, when they profess Christianity, we're not talking about just born again, not just evangelical Christians. We're talking about uh, Catholicism would be in that group, the cults would be in that group, um, every, everything you could think of that would be under the, the umbrella of Christendom would come into that group. Less than 2% have any, uh, profess any kind of Christianity. There are countries in the 1040 window that, that you, can, you can drive for day on end and never come into any, any kind of a church. I was preaching in Portland, Oregon a few years ago, and I had just come back from Jakarta, Indonesia. I had been in Jakarta and then some other, not only Jakarta, the capital there, over 10 million people, but then also been in some other uh, villages and the surrounding islands. And I had just come back. I came back to, to the States for a, for a missions conference. I was living in China at the time. I just visited Jakarta. Come back to the States for a missions conference. I was in Portland, Oregon. Just been here for a couple of days. Just been in the States for a couple of days. Still, still having the jet lag and all the rest of it. And so I was there in Portland, Oregon. I was sitting on the platform right about here. And there was a man that was giving his testimony. In that missions conference, we had um, not only myself speaking, we had other missionaries. And one of them was a home missionary. He was going to start a church here in America. And by the way, I'm for church planning in America. Look at my history. I started the Redwood, we started, we started three churches, and two of them are in America. And, uh, and both of them, so I'm, I'm for church planting. But this man, and, and I, I'm totally agreeing with what he was saying. I just want to give you an illustration here. So this man is, is giving a testimony, and here's what he said. He said, I'm going, God has called me to a certain city, name the city. And he said, now in this city, there are already 10 independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, KJV, soul-winning Baptist churches. He went through all the, the, the list, you know, of our people. And he said, there are already 10 of them there. And he said, so, but, but you might say, well, wait a minute. Why are you going to a church, to a city that already has 10 independent fundamental Bible-believing KJV uh, soul-winning churches? And, uh, and he said, wait a minute, do the math. There are a million people in this, in this city. And by the way, there, I think we have maybe nine or 10 cities in all of America that have a million, have a population of a million. Uh, the city that we lived in in China was 14, 14 million people. Uh, they have like 160 uh, cities in China with over a million people. Uh, that's common all over that part of the world, that, that 1040 region. Millions of people in one city. But <clears throat> he said, now, do the math. I'm sitting right here. He said, do the math. He said, if you were to go to our city, of, uh, and name the city, a million people. And he said, if, if, let's suppose you had the, the, the first independent fundamental Bible-believing KJV 1611 uh, Baptist uh, soul-winning church there. He said, then you're going to drive for 100,000 people. Then you're going to have the second independent fundamental Bible-believing KJV 1611 soul-winning church. Then you're going to go another 100,000 100, people and see another one. And then 100,000 before you see the next one. And he said, you're going to go for 100,000 people before you reach it. And you see one of those, those churches, our churches. We need more. I'm sitting on the platform getting ready to preach. And I'm remembering Jakarta. And I'm thinking two days ago, 
Every morning, I woke up to the sound of the, the Muslim cry or whatever you call it, the Muslim stuff that they were putting out. Five times a day, I heard it coming out over the loudspeakers. We drove through that city of Jakarta, and you never saw any kind of church. You saw Muslim mosque after Muslim mosque after Muslim mosque. And I was thinking that, that there are places where you can drive for day upon day upon day, I mean, just, just for hours upon end, maybe days on end. You don't see any kind of a, a Christian church at all. You don't see an independent fundamental Bible-believing KJV 1611 soul church. You don't see a Calvary chapel. You don't see a Methodist church. You don't see a Catholic church. He said, and I'm thinking, you drive through those cities, go through India, you see Hindu temples, go through Indonesia, you see Muslim mosques, drive through Thailand for Laos, Burma, Cambodia, Sri Lanka, you see Buddhist temples, but you don't see any churches. Drive through the city that I lived in, 14 million people, my wife and I were at, and, and, and we're where we're living, and, and you don't see any kind of, you don't see a Buddhist temple, you don't see a Muslim mosque, all you see is just secularism, where they've tried to do their best to wipe out any form of, of, of religion, whatever that religion might be. Um, we're going to have to get our eyes off of ourselves and our own cities and take the time to lift up our eyes and look. Jesus said, I want you to see that there's a need out there. Notice number two, not only do he say to, to look, but secondly, go, go to Matthew chapter 9, if you would please. Now, Jesus told us what we're to do after we look. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, here's a parallel passage to what, uh, what we just read in John chapter 4. And so in Matthew chapter 9, we see something else. Now, go verse 35, Jesus is in the villages and teaching in the synagogues. He's going from place to place. Verse 36, when he saw the multitudes, right? So now we're this parallel passage. He sees the multitudes, Matthew 9, 36. He was moved with compassion on them. Well, I wish I had time to talk about that. When Jesus saw those multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Well, who was in those multitudes? So they were, well, they were all a bunch of really good, sweet, kind Christian people. Grew up in Sunday school, and they loved Jesus, and they loved others. And they, No, no, no. When he saw those multitudes, you know what he saw? He saw sinners. Homosexuals were in that multitude. Blasphemers were in that multitude. Adulterers were in that multitude. Divorced people were in that multitude. Homeless people in that multitude. He saw, he saw people that would steal from you, would kill. I mean, they're all out there in that multitude. And you know what? He loved them. He was moved with compassion on them. But that's not what I want to talk to you about right now. He's, he was moved with compassion. He said, he, they were, and he, here's why. They fainted. They were scattered abroad. That sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plenteous, labors are few. Same passage. But now look at verse 38. After he said, I want you to look, he said, I want you to pray. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that will send forth labors into his harvest. So what did Jesus say to do after looking? He said to pray. Now, the answer to our lack of laborers is prayer. Jesus said, here's what I want you to do. What, what did he say to pray for? Pray for what? 
Jesus didn't just say, hey, they're out there, they're, they're lost, there's people everywhere, you, you need to pray. He went on to say in verse 38, Pray therefore that the Lord of the harvest, that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. So we're to pray for laborers. Um, but now wait a minute. Where did Jesus tell us to send those laborers? Well, if you, if you look at the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, the Bible says, Go into all, all nations. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. So not just our nation, but all of the nations. By the way, the word nation there is the word from which we get our word ethnicity. All the ethnic groups, all the tribes, all the languages, all the different ethnic groups of the world were to go to them and to give them the gospel, teaching them the word of God, teaching them the Bible, teaching them the gospel. Then when they get saved, baptize them and then teach them to do the same thing in their own country, among their own people, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you. Now let me ask you a question. How are we doing on that? How are we doing on getting the gospel to all of the nations. I'm going to give you some statistics, and I'm going to tell you right off, right off the bat, I do not know how accurate these statistics are. Um, and the reason I want to tell you that is because I don't, want to, I don't want to give you something that's not accurate. I don't know how accurate this is. I will tell you where I got these statistics. I got these statistics from a book called Living Your Life on Purpose, Living Life on Purpose. Great book. I highly, highly, highly recommend the book. It was written by a man by the name of Claude Hickman, Living Life on Purpose by Claude Hickman. Now let me give you some statistics as he talks about missions and where the missionaries are going. He said this, accuracy, I do not know, but here's what he says in that book. Iran has one missionary for every three million people. India has one missionary for every two million people. Vietnam has one missionary for every two million people. Um, I, would, I, I don't know how accurate that is. I've been to all those countries. I, and I'm sorry, I've not been to Iran. I've been to India, I've been to Vietnam, and to go to Vietnam on a regular basis. But, but uh, I would think maybe we don't have that many. But that's what he said. Now let me, show, let me go on with the statistics by Claude Hickman. Mexico has one missionary for every 2,300 people. Peru has one missionary for every 240 people. Brazil has one missionary for every 276 people. Now again, I don't know how accurate those are. I'm just telling you, I didn't make them up. I'm, pull, I'm taking them from, directly from this book. Now, um, how accurate are they? I'm not sure. But here's the point I want you to see. The point I want you to see is the imbalance. Do you see the imbalance there? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being critical of going to Mexico. Or, or, or of going to Brazil or to Peru, that we need more missionaries there. By the way, I support a national, our, our ministry supports a national pastor in Mexico. But he's a, he's a national pastor that's in an area where they don't have other mission, don't have missionaries and where, where there's not other access to the gospel. And that's, that's in, in my mind, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for places where we can support national pastors who are in areas where you don't already have a bunch of churches. If there's a church on every corner... That's good, praise the Lord. But I'm going to go look for somewhere else and put our money in an area where they don't have that. The imbalance is what I'm talking about. Look, God calls people, God's, call, we're, we're, God's calling people, we're sending people laborers. But really, is God calling everybody to the same areas? Or is maybe God calling some people to some areas where they don't have the gospel yet? And that's where we want to focus. 
on places where there's a greater need. Uh, the issue is not being lost. Look, if a person dies and goes to hell, it doesn't matter where you live before you went to hell, right? Uh, if you live, look, if you live in Moore, Oklahoma, or anywhere in the Oklahoma City area, and you're without Jesus, and you reject, you rejected Christ, and you don't, you've never been born again, and then you die, you go to hell. It didn't matter where you lived. But at least in this Oklahoma City area, somebody's looking for you. Somebody's praying for you. Somebody's searching for you. Somebody's probably going to knock on your door. Somebody's going to give you a gospel track. Somebody wants to see you saved. I'm talking about there are places in this world where nobody's coming to your village. Nobody's knocking on your door. Nobody's praying for you. Nobody's coming to ask. Nobody's going to hand you a gospel track. It is estimated that 80% of Muslims, Buddhists, Muslims, they never will meet a Christian in their life. They'll never see one. I'm talking about there's areas across our world where, where nobody, you, you're born, you live your entire life, you die, you go to hell, and not one opportunity have you had to, tr to trust Christ as your Savior. You say, it doesn't seem right that those people would die and go to hell. Yeah, I know it, but it is right. And it is what God said. They're not going to hell because God doesn't love them. They're going to die and go to hell because God's people are not obedient enough to take the gospel to them. The problem's not God's. The problem's ours. What are we going to have to do if we're going to have a vision for the whole world? First of all, we're going to have to look. We're going to have to start praying that God would send people to those countries. I just got back from Vietnam two months ago, and there's a city in Vietnam that I'm praying for, and I'm, I'm, I'm partnering with an American missionary and a couple of Vietnamese pastors over there, and the four of us are praying that God would raise up somebody to go to a city called the city of Hue. The city of Hue is, uh, is a great city. There's over 491,000 people in that city. That city is one of the greatest cities in Vietnam. It's a place where in 1968, I went to Vietnam in 68, by the way. I was there in Vietnam in 1968, 69, uh, and 70 with, uh, with 75th Rangers, two tours. But in way, in 1968, one of the most bloody and long, longest battles of, of the Vietnam War took place. You Vietnam veterans will know about, about Way. Over 10,000 people were killed in that battle. Civilians, American soldiers, uh, NVA, North Vietnamese soldiers, Arvin soldiers, Vietnam Vietnamese soldiers. It was one of the longest battles, 10,000, it lasted well over a month. And 10,000 people died in that, in that battle. But now the city of Hue, 52 years later, is still there. It's an old, uh, it's an old historic city, walled city, walled, walled uh, village, walled city. Beautiful city. You know, and, and we don't have one church in that city. 
And I've got on my daily prayer list to pray for the city of Hue and to pray for this Vietnamese pastor who has a Bible institute in Da Nang that we're, we're helping with. And we're praying that one of those Bible college students from Da Nang will go to the city of Hue. And I'm telling you, if, if he's willing, if they're willing, I'm going to get behind them as much as I can. I want to see a, I want to see a church in that city where when I was 18 years old, there were 10,000 people that died in that one city. We need, we need the gospel there. What can we do? We can look. We can pray. How do we develop a vision for the world? There's the third thing. We need to give. Now, tithing is the beginning point of Christian stewardship. Remember Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Here's part of getting your heart into it, putting your money there. When tithing is the beginning place. Tithing is returning 10% of our income back to God through the church. The tithe does not go to the church. It goes through the church, though. It's to God, and we're giving it through our local church. Tithing has been practiced by God's people for thousands and thousands of years. I'm going to make a statement recently. I'm going to say the word recently. At least in my experience, recently, here in America, people have begun to, uh, to question tithing. And they say that tithing, I'm sure you've heard it, tithing is an Old Testament law. It's not for Christians today. We're under grace, and so tithing is not for us today. Now, the reason I say recently is because I've been pastoring for almost 50 years. I've been in the ministry of 48 years, pastored for 40 years. And, uh, and in those first 40 years of pastoring, I never heard people saying that. Until probably the last mm, 15 years, 20 years maybe. First 20 years of my, my pastoring ministry, people said, I'm not going to tithe, or I don't tithe, or whatever. But I never heard anybody say, well, I'm not going to tithe. Christian, I never heard Christians say, I don't tithe because I don't believe it's for us today. It's an Old Testament law, and it's not for today. Uh, let me ask this to you. I don't, I, don't, um, I don't question at all the sincerity of those who say that today. If you're here today and you say, well, you know, preacher, I really don't think tithing is for us today. I believe it's, it's an Old Testament law, and our giving today, we're under grace, and so our giving is totally of grace. I, I'm with you, okay? I'm, I'm okay with you. I don't doubt your sincerity. I think you're mistaken a little bit on this one thing, and uh, on, this, on this, era, this idea of tithing being something that was done away with with the Old Testament law. I don't think it was. Um, we get to heaven, I find I was wrong, okay, I'll, I'll admit it, you know, but, but I don't think I'm mistaken on this. And I think, though, if I'm going to tell you that, I, you deserve for me to tell you why I believe that. Why do I think tithing is incumbent upon us today? Let me give you just some bullet points for the sake of time. We can, we're not going to be able to turn to every passage, but I'll give you the passages. Okay, first of all, I believe tithing is still today. It's incumbent upon us today. It's not an Old Testament law. It's done away with. Number one, Abraham tithed 400 years before the law. So Abraham tithes. Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. You remember Melchizedek, uh, and, and Abraham comes back from that great victory, and he gives tithes of all that he had to Melchizedek. So this was before the law. So if tithing is an Old Testament law, why is Abraham doing it? 400 years before Moses was even born. Secondly, number two, Abraham then taught his descendants to tithe. Now, if you think about the, the lineage, lineage here, it goes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? So Abraham's the father, Isaac the son, grandson Jacob. Jacob begins to tithe, or is, Jacob is tithing in Genesis chapter 28. So Abraham taught his descendants to tithe. Genesis chapter 28, Abraham, you remember Jacob is running from his brother Esau, and he's, um, he's, he's got nothing. 
and he, he stops there and he sleeps out and uh, out on puts a, all he has is a rock for his pillow and he's got a little knapsack and here's what he said he said God if you'll bless me I'll give ten percent back to you of everything you give to me why did he say that I mean it just come just comes out of his mind one day I think I'll give God ten percent no um, he obviously heard it who did he hear from I'd say from his father. Isaac, from his grandfather, Abraham. So this thing has been being passed along. And this is hundreds of years before Moses. 430 years go by. Now Moses is on the scene. Leviticus 27.30. Moses then incorporates tithing, which had already been around, into the law. Leviticus 27.30. All the tithe of the land is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Now Moses says, Leviticus 27.30, all the tithe of the land is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Moses did not say, guys, girls, y'all, we got a brand new law we're going to have under the law. We're going to start giving 10% of everything that brings, God brings us. We're going to bring it back to God. It's brand new. Nobody ever heard of it before, but this is going to be great. This is going to be wonderful. It's a brand new law. He didn't say that. He said, the tithe of the land is the Lord's. Since when, Moses? Since always. <laughs> it didn't start then. Fast forward a thousand years. 400 years before Moses, now a thousand years after Moses, and we come a thousand years later, and the people have stopped tithing. And so Malachi now shows up on the scene, and he says to the people, hey, get back to tithing. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse that there be, may be meat in mine house, and, and test me, prove me, herewith saith the Lord, will not will open up the windows of heaven and bless you. So Malachi then commands it, says, get back to where, what, we, what, what our ancestors have been doing for centuries. Go back, go forward another 400 years. Now Jesus shows up. Jesus does not command tithing, but Jesus does commend tithing. Jesus said, hey, this is a good thing that you're tithing. Um, where do you see that? Luke chapter, Luke chapter 11. Listen to verse 42. He's Luke eleven forty-two. 42. Woe unto you Pharisees, for you tithe. You do tithe. Mint, rue, and all manner of herbs. But here's the problem. You pass over judgment and the love of God. Now listen to this carefully. Luke, Luke eleven forty-two. 42. These ought you to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Look, if you have to make a look, if you tithing is not the most important thing. If you have to make a decision between loving God, loving your neighbors yourself, and tithing, choose loving God and loving your neighbors yourself. Obviously, uh, the way you live and the way you and that's much more important than, than whether or not you tithe. But why would we all of, all of a sudden stand up and say, "But tithing is not important, though it doesn't matter." I think we're mistaken on that. I think it does matter. It's not as important as other things. Look, my, my relationship with my wife, money is not the most important thing. We've made it for almost 51 years. It's not money. We love each other. I love her supremely. There's nobody I love more than her. There's nobody I want to be around more than her. There's nobody that I, that I want to please more than her. I love my wife, period. She loves me. Why? I have no idea, but she does. <laughs> she does. And... And, and, and finances is not the most important thing in our, our marriage, but it's important. 
And so it is with your giving. If we're going to get the gospel around the world, first of all, we start tithing. And that takes care of our finances here in the local church. If the churches are not, sometimes people ask me, they'll ask me the question, what is it that you, Dwight, what is it that you need? What do you need? And I'm going to be honest with you. You know what I tell them? I know what they mean. What they mean is, what do you need? How much money do you need? I'm going to tell you, I give with total sincerity. Dwight, what do you need? Here's what I need. I say this in churches all over America. I need for you to be a tithing, loving, kind, generous, gracious, united church. That's what I need. <laughs> and that's what every missionary needs. If your church is arguing, and your church can't pay their bills, and your church is, 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 is uh, uh, not winning people to Christ, and you're not giving, you know, your church is going to fold up. And when, and, and when your church goes down, they go down too. You're the one holding the rope. We need strong, solid local churches here in America, and those churches are going to be able to help the churches that cannot help themselves yet. They're out on the mission field. Number four, not only do we need to, to look and then pray and then give, then number four, here's the last word. We need to go. We need to go. Mark 16, 15 says, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. You know, there are five commandments in the, in the, in the Bible to go. There are none to stay. None. Matthew says, Go. Mark says, Go. Luke 24 says, Go. John 15 says, Go. Acts 1, 8 says, Go. Nowhere does the Bible say, I want you to stay. I don't want you to go. Where to, where to go? It's time that we stop using the excuse of not having a direct call for us to ignore a direct command. It's a direct command. Go. Well, I just don't feel called. Um, I'm sorry, but he didn't say go if you feel it. He said go. You say, well, I'm too old to go. <laughs> Talk to the hand. <laughs> Those of you that are too old to know what that means, it means like, you're talking to the wrong person here, man. <laughs> I was 65 years old when I went. <laughs> yeah, I'm too old to go. <laughs> now I'm too old to stay. <laughs> but I'm not too old to go. <laughs> Look, we're, you're not too old to go. You're not too young to go. You're not too old to go. You don't have to, in going doesn't mean you have to Move across the world somewhere. Go. Acts 1.8 tells us how we're to do that. Acts 1.8 says, You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me. That's the going, right? You shall be witnesses unto me. Both. Same time. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. Now, Jerusalem is where we live. That's where they live. The Jerusalem is their city. That's your area. So Go. First of all, go right here in your city. Go to your neighbor. Go to your friends. Go to those you work with. Go to your family. I was the last one in my family to get saved. Um, Baptist preacher, Landmark Missionary Baptist Church in, 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 uh, in Watsonville, California. Um, led my family to Christ. Led my mom and dad to Christ. I was in Vietnam at the time. My older brother was in Vietnam as well. There were two, two of us there at the same time. 
And so <clears throat> we, um, we were in Vietnam, my older brother and I. He came back, and um, after a while, he got saved. So now mom's saved, dad is saved, younger brother's saved, younger brother's saved, younger sister's saved, now my older brother's saved. Um, I came back from Vietnam, and I thought, they're crazy. They're nuts. You see, in between your tours, you had a 30-day time you could come back. So I came back for 30 days, and all of a sudden, in our house where where everybody was arguing and fighting, and mom and dad were always trying to decide whether or not they were going to stay together or not. I mean, when I was 13 years old, I remember them coming into the bedroom and saying, saying, son, we're going we're gonna to get divorced. Who do you want to live with? You want to live with mom or you want to live with dad? And I said, I don't want to live with either one of you. Just do whatever you're going to do. I, I'll, I'll go figure out somewhere to live. And then uh, they decide not to get divorced. And they'd stay together, and then they wouldn't stay. You know, just, just that kind of stuff. And um, five, five kids, four boys and one girl. My dad's only goal for us, these four boys was he just said, sons, would you graduate from high school? You know how many of us graduated from high school? The one sister. That's it. All four of us dropped out of high school. All four of us out on the streets, all four of us taking drugs, just, just doing our thing. And, and then, age of 16, I drop out of high school. 17, I join the Army. 18, I go to Vietnam. I come back from Vietnam, and all of a sudden, they love each other. They're, they're not fighting. They're getting along with each other. They're going to church. And I remember thinking, they're crazy. Something, I don't know what happened to them, but they're nuts. So I went back to Vietnam. Went back for my second tour. But on my second tour, here's what I knew. All the time I was there, I had heard the gospel now. I'd gone to church with them. I'd heard the gospel. And I knew if I die, I'm going to hell. If I die, I'm going to hell. Man, I got to get back to California and go to that little church and get saved. I didn't know you could get saved anywhere. I just knew you got saved by walking down the front and kneeling at the altar. And so after that six-month tour, I went back home. I got saved. God changed, our, God changed our lives. Thank God somebody was willing to go to this messed up family. The family that you, that, that, that you would have you looked at our family and said, you know, yeah, skip them. <laughs> Number one, we don't want them in our church. You know. Number two, if they, you know, they're not going to get saved anyway. But Jack Wilkins was willing to go knock on the door and say, hi, I'm from Landmark Missionary Baptist Church here in Watsonville, and uh, want to invite you to church. My mom got saved, my dad got saved, my brothers got saved, my sister got saved. And then finally the dumb one in the, in the family figured it out and got saved too. I was 20 years old. Went off to Bible college, started serving God, never looked back. You know what my, you know what my friend said when I got saved? My army buddies, I was still in the army. My army friend said this, when I got saved, here's what they said. They said, hey, did you hear that Dwight got religion? Well, Dwight didn't get religion. Dwight got Jesus. Religion is what you have when you're on your way to hell. Jesus is what you have when you're born again. And so they said, Dwight got religion. Here's what they, my friend said. Uh, give him six months and he'll be back. 
Six months, he'll be back to the same old stuff. He'll be partying. He'll be doing the same stuff he's always done. Six months, and he'll be back. That was, let's see, I was 20 years old. I'm 72. That's 52 years. Now, I dropped out of high school, so I'm not real good at math. But I think six months has come and gone like 104 times, right? Over 100 times. You know what my old friends are saying now? He ain't coming back, is he? <laughs> nah, he ain't coming back. I'm never going back. My friend, somebody out there, there's a family out here, right here in this area like mine. And we'd have been a bus kids if they'd had buses back in those days. We'd have been that bus kid that, that you know, the bus captain would be saying, do I have to bring these four boys, you know, troublemakers? They're out there. You could go to them, and maybe someday one of them is going to go around the world for you. Give. No, I'm sorry. Look, pray, give, go. Now I want to wrap this up by saying this. Perhaps there's somebody here today, you yourself have never been born again. You've never trusted Christ as your Savior. What a tragedy it would be for you to live your life in the Bible Belt and die and go to hell because of your pride, your stubbornness, because you just simply didn't think you needed to be saved. My friend, for all of sin comes short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. All of us need Christ. God loves you. Jesus died for you. And this morning, if you would come to Christ, I mean, as a 20-year-old young, young man, I just walked down down, knelt at the altar and said, Dear God, I don't know if you're there or not, but if you're there, I, I know I'm messed up. I need help. Would you please come into my heart and save me? And he did. And what he's done for others, he'll do for you. It's no secret. Jesus said this, Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. You come to Jesus this morning. And he will not throw you away. He will not reject you. He will take you as his own. He's already said, I love you. He's waiting for you to say, to respond back and say, Lord, I love you too. Will you, will you, will you save me? Will you be my savior? Will you forgive my sins? And he will, if you're willing to come to him. And then if you've already been saved, maybe you just ought to take a few moments and say, God, would you help me to get my eyes off of myself, my family, my, my, all my, my problems? And look out and see a lost and dying world. Lord, would you help me not only to, to look, but to pray? Begin to pray for some of those countries where they're still waiting for the gospel. Pray for Iraq, where last week our missionary was killed there, was martyred. Pray for, pray, pray, pray for countries where they're still waiting to hear the gospel. Would you be willing to give over and above your tithe to help to get the gospel to countries like that? And would you ask God to help you to go to those around you or to whoever he wants you to reach to give them the gospel?